I pray that we will do that. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. This morning we're going to look at uh, the methods God's show, the way He shows His mercy, and God's sovereignty over Nineveh. For the third third time in the book, in Jonah chapter three, verse three, Nineveh is described as a great city. The issue is, what kind of great city was it? Nineveh was a wicked city. But in the text this morning, we're going to find, and unfortunately most translations don't have this, which is very frustrating. And frankly, I am very uncomfortable with trying to teach something that I'm not, I'm not, I don't know myself. How many understand that? He says in verse 4, I think it is an exceedingly great city. And that, that's what the NASB says. And the, the Hebrew words are, that are there really says the city of God. And what in the world does that mean? And we'll get to that in just a second. But I think it's very interesting that the author of Jonah does that. And then also in the first part of the text... We read city was a great city, but he's literally, Jonah is talking about what Sennacherib says it is. The king, this, this is a great city of my strength, my power, and all the king's greatness. That's how he describes it in the first chapter. And then now he's saying, yeah, it's not so great. There is a sovereign God over this great city. And he's going to show his hand soon. And he does that not only with calling this a great city, but he also does this with the way he says, go and repent. He uses different words here that are very interesting. But before we get to that, what is he talking about when he's saying this is a great city? Well, you'd have to look into Nahum. How many know Nahum deals with Nineveh just like Jonah was dealing with Nineveh? Nahum deals with Nineveh, but he deals with it very differently. Jonah wants to see the judgment come to Nineveh. Nahum sees the the judgment come to Nineveh. Because God is a sovereign God. But why judgment? So if, and I'm going to tell you this, if if you ever get in a, uh, uh, want to know more, and you don't have a very good commentary there to help you with, understanding different principles and theology, theological truths, one of the things you can do is look on gotquestions.org. It is a good, I'm not going to say it's great, everything that man does, nothing is great, amen. (laughs) Only what God does is great, but it will give you a very basic understanding, and I'm going to read to you what they have in that resource that is at your fingertips daily, by the way. 
The message of Nahum concerns the impending destruction of Nineveh. Nineveh gets destroyed. You see, well, Jonah had it right all along, and in a sense, he did. <laughs> it's going to get destroyed for their wickedness, for their total regard or disregard for human life. And I want to tell you this if you have maybe read the transcripts of what's coming out of Israel, or you've heard the news reports of the barbarity that has taken place on October 7th. How many, how many of you have read them or researched them to find out? It is insane what this people did to Israel. In one sense, Nineveh is exactly the same people. That's what they did. As much cruelty as they could do. I won't even from the pulpit explain what I read and heard this week on the cruelty because it's still ingrained in my head and I can't get it out. It's disgusting. This is what Nineveh was. The Lord's word to the Assyrians is dire in Nahum. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, I am against you. I will burn up your chariots in smoke. And the sword will deliver you your young lions to your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. God was obviously angry with the Ninevites. And Nahum reveals why. Nineveh had long been an enemy of Judah and Israel, the people of God. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians defeated the northern kingdom of Israel. And frankly, that is exactly why God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Repent. Because why? Gentiles can be a children, a peoples of God. Amen? And God's going to show that. Not only that, you could see it in Jonah being thrown overboard by who? Gentiles. These are just foreshadowings of what's going to take place. God is going to use the Gentile nation of Assyria to destroy the northern kingdom Israel. And they do. Why? They need to repent. Israel needs to repent. Even today, Israel needs to repent. I talked to one of our children this week, and she was so frustrated. I was in church, and they said that it's only days till Jesus come back. That was October 9th. Preachers, watch your mouth. That's not for you to decide. Not even God knows, not even Jesus knows when he's coming again. So to say that, you're losing credibility quickly. Just preach the Bible. Amen? <clears throat> the Assyrians not only destroyed the kingdom of Israel, so really, Jonah knew what was coming. That's why he didn't want to be there. 
you're going to, you should destroy these people. And because of what they were doing, they should be destroyed. But God's going to use them to in turn destroy Israel because of their wickedness. So they defeated the northern kingdom of Israel, destroying its capital. And by the way, does anybody know what the northern kingdom's capital was at that time? What was Israel's capital at the time of the Assyrian defeat? How many think Jerusalem? No one does. Good for you. Whose capital was that? Judah's capital. Remember, they were split, cap, split peoples. Israel's capital was Samaria. And literally, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. They celebrate Passover, right? And still to this day, the Samaritans celebrate, and you can watch it on YouTube or whatever because they still do it. They broadcast it. Samaritans celebrating Passover. It's quite unique. Regardless, they destroyed Samaria in 701. The Assyrians nearly destroyed Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. The text of, Judah, of Nahum provides additional clues regarding God's anger with Nineveh. Nahum says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. How's that for a moniker for your name? I'll read it again. It's disgusting. Woe to the city of blood. That's Nineveh. God's calling the city of blood Nineveh. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Nineveh was the city of violence, known for its brutal treatment of those it's conquered. The Assyrians were notorious for amputating hands and feet, gouging out eyes, skinning their victims alive and having their relatives watch, impaling their captives. The final verse of Nahum's book emphasizes the violence of the Assyrians in the form of the rhetorical question, who has not felt your endless cruelty? These guys were jerks. These guys were of Satan. To be honest with you, our headlines today are literally could be the headlines of Nineveh. And by the way, they probably are the same people, to be honest with you. How many understand this? Hamas and Nineveh were kissing cousins at worst. Another reason for the anger God had against Nineveh was not only their nasty, horrible cruelty, but their extreme pride. And we're going to see that today because God in the book of Noah destroys not only their cruelty, but he's going to destroy their pride. And that is why in the third way that God says it's a great city, it's a city of God. Sennacherib, you ain't got nothing. This is my city. I am sovereign God. I will do with it what I will. And here is Sennacherib's his, his, uh, great accomplishment 
and the whole town is sitting in sackcloth and ashes. How's that grab you, Sennacherib? How many understand? This is a deep book. Implied in Nahum, Nahum sorry, chapter 3, verse 8, the pride of Nineveh may have been due in part to the wealth and its power. One account reveals the Sennacherib's day, the wall around Nineveh was 40 to 50 feet high. It extended four kilometers along the Tigris and 13 kilometers around the inner city. The city wall had 15 main gates. Each of the gate was guarded by stone bull statues, both inside and outside the wall. Sennacherib created parks, a botanical garden. He even had a zoo in it. He built a water system containing the oldest aqueducts in history at Jerwan across the Gamal River. Jesus taught for all who take the sword. Yes, you can finish it for me. You know it. Please finish it for me. You'll die by the sword. This truth is vividly predicted and fulfilled in the case of Nineveh, whose warlike people were known for the brutal treatment of enemies. Despite the military might of Nineveh, they were no match for the sovereign God of heaven. Amen. Matter of fact, just think about it. Here's Nineveh in all of its splendor and all of its pride and all of its cruelty. And God sends a scaredy cat puked up on the shore, Jonah, to walk into the city and preach to them to repent. And what happens? <laughs> the whole town repents. Is that humiliating or what? For people, for self-made people. How many understand that? Despite the military might, they were no match for God. Nineveh's downfall was greeted as good news by Judah. By Judah. By Judah. Why? We're next. And all who suffered under the merciless rule of the Ninevites. After Nineveh's destruction, the site was hidden for some time. It was not until 1842 that modern archaeologists rediscovered its location in modern-day Iraq. So, so how many would say that those guys are crazy? Well, it's in the middle of Iraq. What does that tell you? So that's Nineveh. I showed you the greatness of it according to human rationale. But God does something different. The language here that God uses in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, is quite different than what he was talking about earlier, although they look similar in our translations. God says in verses chapter 1 and verse 2 and chapter 3 and verse 2 is that 
counter to what you think, Sennacherib, the city's greatness is not Sennacherib. It's not an earthly king. It's God. It's God. The author underscores this point in the third time he talks about it in verse 3 by adding the description, now Nineveh was a great or exceedingly great, and, and if, you, if you have a study Bible, there will be a couple footnotes on there, and if you look it up, literally what this Hebrew uh, uh, phrase is saying is now Nineveh was a great metropolis belonging to God. Now, people take that in different ways, and we'll get to that in a second. What does that mean? But this has the idea of if this city isn't man's city, this, this is God's. The most convincing interpretation of this is that God raises and destroys kingdoms. Does he not? As he wills. God is going to use this kingdom to discipline Israel. Now, just for a second, did God use other great kingdoms of this world to save Israel? Yes or no? What country was that? Egypt. Eventually, God uses that same one to discipline Israel again. So, all these, America can be considered great, but I will tell you, America will be used by God or trampled by God, one of the two, or both. God used this country to save Israel the first time, did they not? The first time in modern world. As Hitler was eradicating the Jews one by one. America entered into the fray of the war, and the war turned. And the good guys won. Was that America's might, or was that God's providence, and why he grew America the way he did? The problem is today in our world, matter of fact, right now, there are 70,000 tweets saying Hitler should have finished it. I'm telling you, this nation, just like Israel, will be judged by Nineveh, America will be judged. And the more nonsense that is being spoken like this, all that is, is a open heart to the world, this is who we are now. God's not impressed. The author makes the bold affirmation that Nineveh is not Sennacherib's city or Ishtar's city or some false God's city. This is God's city. And He will do with it what He will. At, at, at the very foundation of this book. That is why God is interested in Nineveh. He is going to use them in a great and powerful way. Of course, we know that every city is under God's dominion. Is it not? 
Absolutely. The implication of this truth, however, may not be entirely grasped by Israel how that they have come to the point at this time in history during Jonah's time that we have, we're great. We're a great country. We have exceeded our boundaries as they've never been exceeded before. We are at peace with the world like never before, except that these Ninevites keep marauding in and, 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 and testing our defense and killing our people. The more I read about Nineveh, the more Hamas they are. The reality is, God is going to use this putrid, wicked city to discipline Israel and in turn wake up Judah and in turn help us look at our own lives. Folks, what happened on October 7th eventually will probably happen to America someday. And the pulpits will be filled with prophecies of end times. I will tell you one thing that is true, absolute true. He's bringing a country to discipline us to repent. And this whole book is on repentance, to be honest with you. The very foundation of it is. The author is intentional in using this designation, by the way. He uses, he changed, it, it's interesting, and I'm not going to get at all, all the details of this, but you all know who Yahweh, right? Yahweh? Yahweh is God, right? But God is used in different form, Hebrew words, right? This is a different Hebrew word than the ones that he's been dealing with before. Because he's dealing with a Gentile city, I believe. But it's interesting. And he calls him here in the text, in the Hebrew text, God. Now, so this is the city of God. And, and the different options are this. Different options are, okay, th this is a city of pagan gods. I, I don't think he's saying that. That's an option, but I don't think that's the best. I think this is saying this is the city that God is going to use for his purposes. But that is an interpretation of what the text is trying to say, and there are people that differ on that. Jonah 3.3 is significant, very significant. Because he is saying, because this is a city of God, what's going to be different about it? Well, we'll see by the end of the chapter, very shortly here, actually. Do you think Nineveh had ever bowed the knee to anybody? Do you think Nineveh is full of pride? Do you think Nineveh thinks that they built this with their own, by pulling up their bootstraps and this is who we are and we're great, no one can destroy us? 
just like the Titanic? Absolutely. So how does God show his sovereignty in this? Matter of fact, I'll give you quickly what this means that they were a great city of God. Uh, um, some people believe that it's a great city to the gods. That's how they interpret it. Some people think that it's a superlative and it's the greatest city in the world. And then there's the third one, which I believe it's an important city for God's purpose. So God here is going to show mercy on the most wicked, cruel people in this world. Does that stop and make you think? God is going to take the nastiest, well, let's just use our illustration. God's going to, let's just say this, all right? This is a, a, a illustration, not true, that I'm aware of. God is going to show mercy on those of Hamas that did that cruelty on October 7th. How many of you would think that's not right? I'm dead serious because that's exactly what's going on here. God is going to show mercy on these people who in our eyes, no way do they deserve, I'm with Netanyahu, wipe them out. Right? Don't, don't most people think that? The reality is, that's not what God's saying. In this text, God's saying, yeah, I understand their cruelty. I understand their great wickedness. He talks about it in the text. He's going to destroy them a hundred years later. <laughs> but the reality right now, they are God's people to do something. So what is he going to do to these prideful, big, big chests, me man type? How many get this? Oh, what's he going to do to them? He's going to drop them on their knees. Wow! What? How many could imagine that? How many could imagine all of Hamas right now on their knees looking at God saying, forgive me, I'm repenting, I confess my sins and wickedness. I trust in you, God, instead of Allah Akbar. Now, I am not saying this is prophecy at all. I'm saying this is an illustration. How many understand? And it's a really good one. God's mercy. His mercy is as broad as His sovereignty. And where does His sovereignty slack off? Where does it end? Where? Where? I'll ask again, tell me out loud because I want you participating in. Where does God's sovereignty end? Nowhere. His mercy ends nowhere also. But that's God. Here's the deal. We're children of God. Where, do our, where does our mercy end? All right, I've had it. How many of us have said that? God's mercy is as broad, as eternal, as fulfilled, as complete 
as his sovereignty. Though Jonah readily acknowledged God's sovereignty over the whole earth, as he said many times as he was going in the, in the drink and running away on a boat and rising up and doing exactly opposite of what he said, he knew his sovereignty, that this was the God of heaven and the earth, of the sea and the land. He said these things in chapter 1. But he struggled with the equally universal scope of God's mercy. I know you're a sovereign God. And in the end, he's going to say, I know you were a merciful God. You didn't have to do it to these guys. Why? <laughs> these guys were wicked. Jonah is going to find out, although he already has this inkling it is, that God's mercy is going to even cover Assyria, Israel's greatest, nastiest, and brutal enemy. So the author in the text, chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah says this, he says, Nineveh was a three-day journey. I love it when people say, well, that means this, and then that's all they'd say. Well, here's the deal. When Hebrew scholars say, this is tough, we don't know what it is. I don't think we should say, this is what it is, and there you go. How many understand that? We're not sure. Interpreters continue to struggle to understand the precise meaning of this awkward phrase. Now, the traditional understanding may be true. We don't know. And it says that the city's great size takes three days to walk through it. And, and frankly, in my opinion, I believe that's what it is. And there's a reason for that that we may or may not see today depending on time. The description appears to be an exaggeration of Nineveh's breath, but regardless, it takes a long time. How long would it take you to walk through Grand Rapids? There's a guy with a hat that does that. I don't know if you've seen him. <laughs> I hope one of you have seen him in the store and you can talk to him. I don't know. I haven't been able to do that. I just see him as I'm driving by. But I bet you within a day, you could, I could even surround the whole town. <laughs> this is a big town. Three days, not Grand Rapids, Nineveh. The reason I believe it's three days to go through the town is because Jonah only goes through it one day. And there's another hint, and the hint is further along in the text. The text says that the king heard of what was going on, implying not from Jonah, because Jonah only did partial job. How many get it? In essence, if the city is a three days journey within the city, and Jonah only took one day and then went up and watched it, the fireworks, Jonah only did partial job. But that's an interpretation. <clears throat> Nineveh's great size was matched by its great wickedness. 
God says this, Jonah says this, Nahum says this, history says this. This isn't a one-off. Everybody agrees these guys needed to be wiped off the face of the earth. They were terrible. To be honest with you, the illustration of Hamas could have been also the illustration of Nazis. And it would have been the same thing. By the way, the three-day journey, <clears throat> Jonah probably had a little, uh, yeah, let me tell you about my last three days. <laughs> right? <laughs> what did he just do the last three days? He lived in some animal's stomach. Woo-hoo. And it, by the way, evokes images of death and destruction. Nineveh symbolically bordered on the netherworld in many people's minds because of the unrestrained cruelty of her people. In essence, God is assessing Nineveh that, hey, if you don't repent, you will die. Jonah, in the end, did he obey? Did he change his mind about the mission? Yes or no? He went up and went. He went. And he said what God said, maybe. But he did. And he preached. Verse 4 resumes the narrative with a whole bunch of verbs. How do we know? I just told you, Jonah began, and then he announced, and then he said. So Jonah now, being puked up on the shore, now I don't know what shore, and I don't know where, and I, it's, it's all a guess. How many understand that? It's very possible, by the way. Some authors believe it's possible. There's a river that went right Actually, part of no, right, right in the middle of the city, per se, there was a city on both sides, and Nineveh actually was on the north side of the river, and there was another city on the south. They probably were all one at one time. Regardless, it's possible that that sea creature got, went all the way there and spit him out there. I have no idea. If he spewed him out on the Mediterranean Sea, he had a long way to go. <coughs> How many are following that? We have no idea. So let me encourage you with this. When you have no idea, be honest and say, I'm not sure. Don't be bold and say, this is what it is. You arrogant person, stop it. You tell people that and then eventually proven wrong, what is your ministry to them from now on? Zero. Just be honest. How many remember being in church and then years later finding out, they lied to me. That's not true. How many understand that? A lot of those kids just said, forget you, and they forgot, and then they walked away. Totally. 
Regardless, we don't know where he was puked up. We don't know how he was puked up. I would love to see it because I'm kind of that gross guy. I, I want to see, you know, did he score a 10? Did, you know, what, 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 did, he, did he just, whatever. I don't know. I want to see it, though. But when I'm in heaven, I could care less, probably. Regardless, after he was thrown up on the shore, verse 4 is very clear. He entered the city, and he walked in it how long? A single day's journey. Jonah had just begun making his way into the city, a single day's journey, when he proclaimed and said. So he, he, he went, the verbs, he went, he announced, and he proclaimed. He proclaimed what? He said, there are 40 days until Nineveh is overturned. That word is different than the word, has, has different word, uh, uh, de definitions, the Hebrew word does. And, and, and this is interesting, because in the first one, hey, I want you to go over and tell them to repent. Now the word is, and, and he took it as, I want to have mercy on them. How many get this? That's how he took it. And therefore, he didn't want to go. The word also has this term, overturned. That means wipe them out. That means kill them all. That means destroy it. And now, do you think Jonah's on board now? Are you kidding? That's what I've been saying all along. Absolutely. So he went there. Single day's journey, only took, if it's three days to walk through it, he only took a day. And he preached 40 days until Nineveh is overturned. Now, all we can understand is that's probably what he said. We know that the Bible's true, so he at least said that, right? So, what a great message. 40 days and Nineveh is overturned. 40 days and Nineveh is overturned. Why would people listen to him? It's like he had dementia. And all he could say is this one phrase. How many understand? How many have ever been to an old folks home and there's a guy with dementia there walking around saying the same thing over and over again? That's probably what he looked like. Except he might have been a little white. The reality is, from the acids and the, you know, all that stuff, whatever. Regardless, his message is simple, and we don't know, the text doesn't tell us, but I don't know that he's really excited about being there, and I don't know that he's really passionate about this message unless, yeah, you're all going to die, so you better repent. Because you're going to die, so you might as well repent now. But we know from what is said, there is an amount of time Nineveh has to respond, correct? This appears to be one indication of hope for Nineveh. And it may serve as the motivation for the people's effort to forestall and the disaster that's on its way. 
What's Jonah's attitude during this? The reality is we can only guess. Okay, it's a guess. There's some good clues. But the aspect of Jonah's delivery of the oracle underscores the prophet's ambivalence toward the task. Okay, I'm here. I might as well just, here he is. <laughs> That's what it seems like he's doing. How many agree with that? It seems like he's just, he's not passionate about what he's preaching. Prophets were normally careful about validating their oracles by saying what? Ah, yes, very good, Scott. It's exactly correct. Usually, a prophet would go and say, Thus says the Lord, ba-da-da-da-da-da, right? Is that found in the text? It's not found in the text. Jonah's preaching, as we know it, does not include that type of validation. Now, why isn't it there? Well, if I started arguing that, then we would be here forever and it would be nonsense. By the way, just because the Bible's silent on something doesn't mean we should preach about it every day. Amen. If it's silent on it, there's a reason it's silent on it, i.e., Jesus is coming back any day now, guys. It's going to be soon, within days, within days. That would have been a time to be silent. One thing we can say is the imminent return of Christ is true. Amen? So therefore, be ready, be serving. So Jonah's got it, it seems like he's got an attitude. <clears throat> he doesn't use the Lord's name at all. It is odd that the article includes no indication of the grounds for the judgment. Although, to be honest, everybody knows why, right? <laughs> if, if every historian knows about Nineveh, if every or the prophets to Nineveh know about them, and God says how wicked they are. We all know why. But there's no grounds talked about in the text here, of Jonah at least. Furthermore, Jonah gives no indication of what action might be taken in order to avert the predicted fate of destruction. So Jonah is absolutely convinced these guys are toast. And so I'm going to preach like God told me to because I'm going to obey God and do it. But they're toast. They're gone. That's because of the word that is used there in the text, in the Hebrew. Two aspects of Jonah's proclamation need to be understood. First of all, 40-day frame time. Let me ask you, was there any kind of 40-day frame time in other scripture? Yes or no? Yeah. Um, Genesis 6 through 9, what's that talking about? The flood. 40 days. Moses' intercession for Israel after the sin with the golden calf. 
Both passages occur in the context of a judgment involving a 40-day period. Furthermore, in both passages, a great population is in jeopardy. Jonah's oracle recalls the flood narrative and, and how that, hey, listen, this is, and, and, and God did this, and God did this with Moses, God did this with Noah, and hey, God's giving you 40 days, I'm just telling you. And to be honest with you, if I can take a little freedom, maybe that's the why he only uses six words. He doesn't want him to repent. So he's kind of keeping it. I don't really don't want to warn you, but I'm told to warn you. So here's my best that I want to give you to warn you. The city's going to burn! No, that wasn't what he was saying. He's walking around again, if I can take liberty, like a pouting baby saying, he might even be whispering it, Nineveh's going to repent. Nineveh's going to get destroyed. If you don't repent, you have 40 days. But that's, again, a guess. But it seems that way in the text. The statement of humanity's depraved condition in six Genesis 6-5 serves as a amped summary of Nineveh's moral state. They were horrible. And frankly, they deserved judgment from God. But here's the reality. So are we. We all deserve judgment. But if you, hear, you are here and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have received mercy. And you didn't deserve it. And we're just like Jonah, and we're just like Peter, like we talked about last week. We see people in their wickedness, and we hate them. And therefore, they, we don't even think they deserve mercy. Let me ask you, does Hamas deserve mercy? They don't deserve it, but if God gave it to them, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Because there is no difference. Our sins are just as wicked before an almighty God. But yet we do that. We play that game, do we not? We see somebody on the other side of the road and they're the guy with the hat. I mean, man, that guy is kind of something, I don't know. I think I'd walk on the other side. And I definitely tell my kids to do that. And he'll never know the Lord because we never talk to him. We do that all the time. I think there's a great meme picture showing a biker just inked up everywhere, ponytail. I mean, the whole works, earrings, the whole works. And there's two guys in a suit standing behind him. Yeah, I'm glad we're saved. Look at that guy. While that guy's reading his Bible, humbly thanking God for his mercy. That is exactly what's going on here. You got this religious guy, Jonah, thinks he's, okay, he's not in a suit, but he is. He's a legalistic dude. And he doesn't want to see mercy put to these guys. So he's uh, doing his best to make his present not known. <laughs> and we know that because 
eventually the king hears about him. Wouldn't you think if you're going to tell the whole city to repent, you might start with the boss. That might be it. Go to city hall. Let's start there. But the king had to hear about it from somebody else. Which is so cool. Because here's what's going on. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But this is so cool. Here's the deal. The city starts repenting. I mean, they're in sackcloth and ashes. And then the king hears about it. Oh, I better make an edict or I'll lose my job. (laughs) Right? The king that's supposed to be above all and knows all. And they obey his very word. They obey God. Not you, buddy. Whether they know it or not. They're under God's control. Isaiah chapter 49. I want to read a couple of texts, actually. There's a couple of them. Genesis chapter 12. Was Israel important in all of this? Did Jonah know that Israel was important? He thought they were the, the chosen people. Oh, right, they were. They are. But also, there's something that I don't know that they really paid attention to in their texts. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. By the way, Israel is the chosen peoples of God. Amen? They are. You can't unchoose. That would be changing mind, right, by God. They will be the whole purpose for the millennial kingdom. Amen. That is their kingdom. And we're going to be able to take part of, praise the Lord, I believe. But the reality is, they forget this. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let me tell you, Israel wasn't blessing the world outside their borders. They hated them because that would then, they would hinder them from being able to experience the kingdom of God as they understood it, right? So they didn't want anything to do with them. They would wanted to destroy them. They wanted to do what Joshua was told to do, right? There's another one in Isaiah chapter 49, 1 through 6. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he also has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. I will show my glory. Here's the deal. God wants to show his great mercy by Jonah preaching And he should be preaching passionately to repent, come to the Lord, and you'll change. But instead, Jonah is thwarting that desire of God, and God's going to say, well, whatever you think, this is going to happen anyways. You're just not going to be remembered as the one that gladly went in there to preach the gospel. But as the one that reluctantly, with a poochy lip, went in there and hated it. How about us? I praise the Lord that we're not a jealous people. And we treat everybody with love and grace. 
all the time. Do we? The allusion to Moses and his intercession for Israel when God is about to exterminate the nation of Israel for the calf is exactly what Jonah is supposed to be doing for Nineveh. From an Israeli perspective, the role that Moses took in Israel is the role that Jonah is taking in Nineveh, or should be. But instead, we're going to find that he runs up to a high hill to watch the fireworks. The fireworks is my opinion, but that's what I believe he did. He certainly went up to the mountain to look for some reason. He is the prophet, like Moses, Jonah is, and he should intercede on behalf of those God has threatened to judge. Just like us. Is God going to judge your neighbor? So have you warned him? Is God going to judge your work buddy or your work boss or fill in the blank? Yes. Have you warned them? I will tell you this, if you haven't warned them, you have no right to downgrade Jonah at all. Because you're doing the exact same thing. He will eventually pray, Jonah will, but this prayer is a complaint that God failed to destroy Nineveh, not a petition that God might spare Nineveh. The citizens of Nineveh had to petition God themselves. And as indicated in the royal pronouncement, they, like Moses, deployed depraved themselves and their animals of food and water during their prayer. Jonah did not fulfill the role as Moses fulfilled. Another aspect in Jonah's doom oracle is not only the 40 days which he was to warn them of, <clears throat> But he was to warn or to tell them of you've got time to change here. But he uh, the Jonah's doom oracle says that they will be overturned. That word overturned, do you know what the do you know what other city that was used for? Or cities? That word specifically is not only used here. In Jonah, uh, in, in Jonah chapter 3, but it was used in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how it is. And, and, and let me tell you, I, <clears throat> so going back and forth to work, which is only like 10 minutes for me, I, I turn on the local news so I can know what's going on in this town, and, and they give a brief 
big news, and I'm not telling you you should listen to the news. Maybe we should never listen to the news. Regardless, it can become a bad thing for sure. Regardless, I'm hearing family of those that were taken hostage by Hamas. And I'm hearing my sister and her partner were taken. And I can't help but flood my mind of Sodom and Gomorrah. How many understand this? You know, those same words would come out of American mouths also today. They might even be a little bit more weird. My daughter and her partner, who is now a furry. What does that even mean? Or the lesbians, the LGBT community, all these things. Folks, listen, God has vocationed you to be a man or a woman and you can't jump ship and try to be another. You're thumbing your nose at God. I don't like being a man. Who made you that man? And instead of, oh, I, I feel like I should be a woman, or I, should, I feel like I should be a, literally, this is happening, a cat, or a furry, or something else out there. Listen, we're on a, oh, craziness. It is an affront to God. Folks, Nineveh and America are much alike. And we're ripe for God's judgment. Or to use the term here, we're ripe to be overturned. That's the word. That overturn recalls the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as a historical precedent for God's response to extreme wickedness. Clearly, this conveys the idea of annihilation. You will be annihilated. annihilated. The turn overturned, however, also has the sense to change or reform. Therefore, the text could say 40 days until Nineveh repents and reforms. And guess what? The prophecy is correct. We are running out of time. I just, ugh. Here's the reality. I think it's so awesome that God, to, to, to just do this to man's pride, just to squash it, he gets up and he says, and he does this. He has the whole town weeping on their knees, throwing ashes on their head, not eating in total repentance. And the text says, and we'll get to this next week, Lord willing, they trusted in God. Amen? They trusted in God. And all of that happens without the king knowing it. I think the king's pride is like, oh dear, how many understand that? <laughs> Look what's happened in my city. I better get on board on this. I better get ahead of this. Again, 
God's providence is awesome. It's awesome. And he never leaves any stone unturned. Praise God for his sovereignty. Amen? How many got a grasp of what's going on here? I think these details are really important, and these details show the majesty of God. Oh, my word. His majesty is beyond. I can't wait to literally see him as he is. Ah. Mr. Gaming, can you close in prayer, please? Please stand, I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed for this morning. Father, thank you for the message of this book of Jonah. I pray that we would evaluate our own lives and make sure that we are not following uh, in his steps in being self-righteous in only proclaiming a portion of the good news and lacking the compassion for those around us who need to hear. Thank you for instructing us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.